Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thanks for the opportunity to look into your word, and thank you for your leading us in the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling us because we put our faith in Jesus, and when we put our faith in Jesus, the gift we receive is your spirit to live in us. And we're thankful for that. Pray that you would lead and guide and teach, open our eyes, open our hearts, give us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the Christian life. We're talking about the fact that the Christian life is a life that should be, it's not just a decision. It's not just an event. It's a relationship and it's a growth it's a process of growing up into being what it is that a Christian is. When you become a Christian, by putting your faith in Jesus, you're at the beginning stages of new life. That's why it's called being born again. But that's just the beginning. That's just the start. And um, most of us, depending on what our background is, we've, uh, when we come to know Jesus for the first time, we barely know anything at all. And then it's a process of growing up into learning and growing in a relationship. And that relationship continues on. We have eternal life in Christ. And, but a lot of times in life, we get stalled out. And depending on our perspective, if you think that um, being a Christian is just an event, and that event took place when you put your faith in Jesus, and that putting your faith in Jesus is that event, whether you were five years old and you prayed a prayer with Deacon Bob or your Sunday school teacher, but it's not been a process, it's not been a relationship, and it's not been growing, somewhere along the line you stalled out. Somewhere along the line you're in a spot where you need to keep moving and get a hold of the reality of the Christian life, that it's a life of continued growth continued development, continued um, capacity in what God wants to do in your life and through your life. And so if you would open in your Bibles to uh, Matthew 28, I'm going to start at the end and move toward the beginning. But Matthew 28, Jesus coming to the end of his life, and he's talking to these 11 disciples that he spent roughly three years with. He spent basically three years with them, and probably almost night and day as they moved around. They went from town to town, village to village, and roughly for three years he called them um, from what they were doing, and he said, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And now he comes to the end of the road, with them and into their time together, and he gives them this charge. And so I'm going to read from Matthew 28:18. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mount where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So even these disciples, after spending three years with Jesus, seeing him, seeing the miracles he did, the power he did, he listening to his teaching, having times of great forward movement with him, yet they still doubted. I, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because doubt is not um, despair. 
Doubt is a reality to all of our lives from time to time on this journey. Even preachers, even missionaries, you go through times where you're going, what is, what is going on here? And it seems like your prayers don't go past the ceiling and you're discouraged and it's a dark time and you're weary and tired. All those things come. And so it says that some of these doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is the last thing he said to them, but it isn't, it isn't the first time he said something very similar. And throughout the three years that he spent with them, he called them and he said, follow me and I'll make you into disciples, fishers of men. And then at different times throughout the journey, like in Matthew 10, if you would turn there, Matthew chapter 10, he sent them out on mission. He, he not only took them from place to place and had them watch him as he taught and as he healed and as he uh, interacted with the people, but then he told them, okay, you go do this. So when we come to Matthew 28, the end, that's not the first time he told them that. So in Matthew chapter 10, it says this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He calls his 12 disciples to him. And he gave them authority. Notice there's 12 here because uh, Judas is still among them, even though he's among them as a traitor. He's among them as a cheater. He's among them as one who was stealing from the purse. And he's the one that Jesus said, you know what? Judas, at the Last Supper, go do what you need to do. And Judas is the one who denied him. So then he went and hung himself. And that's why at the end of Matthew, there's only 11 disciples. So he called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles, and those are their names right there. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or into any, any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Basically, go to the Jews. Tell them the Messiah has come. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who are lepers. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for your journey or extra tunic, or sandals, or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for the town, that town that rejects him. Those individuals will reject him. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them 
and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you have to say. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so I was rereading that again this week, and just I'm thinking this is the Christian life that God calls us to follow him through his son Jesus, and then we're to go and just do what Jesus did. So I have a little, I'm going to use my board again today just as a helpful tool and uh, to give an example of what we're looking at. In this process of growth, and so you have on one end the fool. It says in Psalms, the fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. So there's people who don't know God. They're called unbelievers. The fool said his heart, there is no God. And in, in, by the time we get to the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And so somewhere in the process, we all are. We're all somewhere along this process. That when we're talking about this, that the Christian life is a life of going from no Jesus to knowing Jesus to then pointing to Jesus and having people see Jesus in you and me, and we disciple them, and we help them grow just like somebody helped us grow. And so I just want to take some thoughts that I've been, uh, as I've been challenged this week in studying on discipleship and what it's supposed to look like. Now, you can help me out in this, in some of these definitions, but when I think about a fool, what Scripture says of the fool, the fool says in his heart there is no God. But if you read Romans at all, the book of Romans will tell you that it's impossible that every human being has been given. It's impossible not to at least have evidence that there is a God because it says since the beginning of creation, God's invisible attributes, his divine glory have been clearly seen so that men are without excuse. But because they chose to refuse to believe and to see and understand what was there, it says they they became foolish in their thinking, and they turned away from God, and they worshipped created thing. They worshipped created things rather than the Creator, and their foolish thinking became darkened. So it's not that men can't believe; it's men that ref, they refuse to believe. We refuse to believe, and that's where the fool is. And the fan. Now the fan. He's not only a person who watches. When you think about a fan, you're thinking about a baseball game, a football game, softball game. A fan is somebody who's in the stands, separated from the action, and they're just watching. They're watching from a distance, but not only that, they pay to watch. They have no intention of being involved and no intention of participating. So it's interesting that Jesus even has some fans. Okay, they look from a distance and they, they're spectators and they like some of the things that Jesus does, but they don't, and they're glad for you and me if we walk with Jesus. Yeah, I'm glad for you, but 
they have no intention to be more than just a fan, to look from a distance at Jesus and Christianity and prayer, Bible study, uh, discipleship. They can look at it from a distance. They can reap some, some of the benefits. But that's as far as they're going to go. And their spectators, not only with their bodies separated, but with their minds. It's a mindset. And you think about sometimes in Christianity, one of our biggest problems is the way we, um, the way that we do church. We, we build it into, uh, we build it into this system that we come on a Sunday morning. That's when we do Christianity. That's when we do church. And we come and we sit for an hour and we listen to somebody teach us or preach at us from the Bible. The Bible which we haven't really spent much time in. The Bible that we, which we're still learning about but we don't really trust. And then we go back home. And we can wipe our hands off and say we check the box. So those are what fans are. Okay? And sometimes we have to, we want to be very careful that we're not encouraging fans that they're actually followers. There's a distinction there. So they're spectators in mind and in body, and sometimes it's trained into them. Oh, this is what Christians do. On Sunday, they show up at a building. But during the week, do they have any connection with God? Are they doing anything practical on their on day-to-day as far as doing what Jesus asked them to do and being followers and disciples and friends of Jesus? So moving this way from the fool and then the fan, you have the follower. And it's very interesting because in a few minutes I'm going to make you very uncomfortable. Okay? Some of you will be very uncomfortable. Some maybe not so uncomfortable, but all of us. I'm uncomfortable, okay? Because as we move forward, I want us all to feel, in a sense, a strain, a stretch. We want to check our own drift. We want to make sure we don't have some idea that Christianity is just a spectator sport and that we can be satisfied being fans. But a follower, at least a follower, the idea is that they're moving forward. Jesus, when he met those men along the road or along the lake, he would say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you disciples, right? So there was some movement involved in a follower, but interesting enough for a follower, followers are still very, very uncomfortable being asked to do what they've been watching. Okay, think about that for a minute. Followers are uncomfortable to do what they've been watching done. Let's say I ask you to go cut wood, because I've been there myself. I didn't grow up handling a chainsaw. And the first time I heard the chainsaw start, I was like going, whoa, that's a big machine, it's kind of scary, and I bet it hurts, or it can hurt. But somebody said, no, here, you can watch me cut wood for a little bit, but you're going you're gonna to take the saw and then you're going to cut. So if you and I were going to go cut wood, and all we did is get there and watch and sit in the truck and not even get out, or we were going to go help Doug bale, uh, get up his hay in square bales, and we never lifted a bale, uh, we're not really in the process 
So the follower, when you first give them the chainsaw, guess what? They're pretty nervous about handling that thing, and they should be. They should respect it. But being asked to do what you've been watching can be very uncomfortable, and they're not practiced. And when you think about the disciples, Jesus called them up and said, listen, guys, find somebody to go with you, and you go out and you do what we've been doing. And I'm not sure... Um, what at what point in Jesus' journey, he's on earth for three years, at what point did he start to say, okay, you guys do it. Remember, like feeding the thousands. You feed them. You go heal that person. You go share with that person. And how many times did he, did he step aside and let them do it in a sense of invitation? And you study scriptures, you'll see that, that Jesus began to say, you do this. You do what I have been doing. And so the follower, they're unpracticed maybe. And we've been talking about prayer um, two weeks ago. Um, because of the, our invitation for somebody to, hey, step up and pray. Well, somebody said, well, they prayed in a, in a new situation. They stepped up and said, hey, you challenged me. I wanted to pray more. I wanted to, I wanted to learn to memorize a verse. I wanted to lead a Bible study. So the follower, it's uncomfortable at first, and you should know that. It's going to be uncomfortable. If you try to do what you've just been watching, I mean, you make vast assumptions. I mean, it's like splitting wood. And I'm using wood illustrations here, but when you're splitting wood, sometimes the guy that's splitting the wood, he can make it look so easy that you think you can just whack walk up there and whack it and do the same thing. Well, if you're unskilled or you're unpracticed, at first, you, it may just bounce right off. You may swing with your best swing, and that uh, splitting ball bounces right off. But as you practice, guess what happens? You learn the lay of the wood. You learn to see a crack there. You learn to hit it just in the right place. You learn that this particular... Um, block is going to need four, four swings. So you take four swings instead of trying to do it in one and give up. So the follower is moving forward in the process, but they're still very uncomfortable at being asked to do what they've been watching happen. But we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and to guide us and to call us up into things that maybe we're not so comfortable with, but that we're supposed to be doing. At the end of Jesus' life, remember, he calls his disciples together and says, go and make disciples. Go and do what I've been doing. And so we need to check ourselves. And this is just between you and God. Have you been making disciples? Can you look back in, in the last 10 years of your life, in the last three years of your life? Are you intentional about doing what Jesus taught us to do through Scripture? Are you doing that? Are you engaging non-believers in conversations that are more than just about the weather or about cutting wood or about fishing? And so we, we check, where are we? So the, uh, the follower needs to move, and he does continue to move as he becomes more comfortable stepping in to a place. In, it's interesting in John chapter 16, where Jesus was sharing some intimate details of life with his disciples before he went to the cross. So in John chapter 15, he says this, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. John 15, 9. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. So if you're a Christian... The Christian is supposed to go and bear fruit. Do what Jesus has been doing. That means inviting other people to move forward with you in a relationship with Jesus at whatever point they're at. Maybe they're over there negative 10, far from Jesus. There's no Jesus. And your part, um, wherever you're walking in the journey, when you bump into them, you don't know how long that season is. I'm thinking about the school teachers or the, or the coaches. You have a window of opportunity to speak into that young person's life, maybe ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, and they're gone. And that window can be very brief, but they're in your life for a certain period of time. That's your opportunity to point to Jesus in, a, in whatever way the Holy Spirit leads you to. Maybe you spend three months praying for them as they're in your classroom. And then one day it opens up that you get to have pizza or an ice cream cone with them and they say you know what i'm really struggling and they bring up how do you how do you make it through life and you can say well it's about jesus i'm learning to walk with jesus i'm learning to trust jesus and so those are the type of relationship you're looking for when jesus sent his disciples out he said look for a person of peace god is already at work preparing people in your life and in my life, people that are around you, he's already calling their names. You're the Christian in their life for a reason. So that you can come alongside with them and walk with them and point them toward Jesus. And so, but you can't do it if you're a fan. You, can, you certainly couldn't do it if you're a fool, even though God uses a donkey in the Old Testament to speak. But, the idea is that as you are a follower and you're moving closer and closer to Jesus and you're a disciple of Jesus, disciples make disciples. Fans can make fans. Followers can make followers. Friends make friends. And so we're to be moving toward Jesus in our relationships with other people instead of just being stagnant and stuck in a situation thinking that Christianity was an event. Christianity was a decision. Christ, no, Christianity is a process, a relationship of growing up into obedience to do what Jesus calls us to do. And he said, go and make disciples. I wanted to read a couple. I've been studying on uh, discipleship for some weeks now. When I was challenged by some missionary friends of mine, they came up and met with Kathy and I, and they said, hey, have you guys been discipling people? And we say, well, in a general way, but sounds like you have some things to teach us. And so I just want to read, there was a conversation in this article I was reading about a past two pastors talking. And um, 
So that I have to give you just the outline. I can't give you the whole thing. But uh, they were talking about discipling. And the one pastor says, well, um, rather than me just being up there teaching people information, we are going to equip our people every Sunday to lead unbelievers to Christ all week long. And I'm thinking, wait, that's Ephesians chapter 4. The pastors and the teachers and the prophets and the evangelists are to prepare God's people for works of service. So if I said, come help me, we're going to go cut wood. And, I, and we get to the wood pile and I say, well, you stay in the truck. Well, this is kind of weird. Now, if I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to prepare God's people for works of service and I never let you pray, I never let you preach, I never let you teach, and you you're the, under the assumption in the same way. Well, I'm I don't pray, I don't teach, I don't share God's word. That would not be good because then I would be creating fans, and I shouldn't say I. I would say we would be creating fans. That would not be good. We are supposed to be making disciples, and that happens as a whole group. And as we look and understand what is Jesus asking us, so He says, you know, this is what we're going to do. On Sunday, we're going to lead unbelievers. We're going to lead our people to be able to teach unbelievers about Jesus Christ all week long. And then he says this to them. They're dialoguing back and forth. Well, once those believers become believers, how will they grow in Christ? And the answer is, our people are going to be equipped to show new believers how to live as followers of Christ. I want our people in the family, the church family, to be able to fulfill the purpose for which they were created without being dependent on gifted preachers, nice buildings, or great programs to do it for them. You see what there's, what Christ is saying and what this pastor is saying also is that we're to be equipped, all of us are to be equipped to do the work that Jesus asked us to do, to go and make disciples. So we're always moving more to becoming like Jesus because we're doing what Jesus did. And then we're not missing opportunities that are right before our face when we could have prayed with a person. A simple prayer. I mean, and I, I, want, I can't tell you enough how I'm learning this myself. I was on the phone twice yesterday talking to people. I couldn't be with them. Both these families that were in duress and I said, okay, when we're done here, let me pray for you. Oh, please, please pray for me. And you know what? Let me go in the other room where my wife is so that she can hear you pray because she's the one suffering with the stroke. And so then I, another phone call said, get near the end of the phone call. Oh, let me pray for you. Or can I pray for you? That takes courage from me. It's not, I, I'm just like you. Maybe I have a little more practice. But there was a day where I had no practice. And so there was a day when I was a fool. There was a day when I was a fan. There was a day when I'm a follower, I'm still a follower, and I'm still moving toward becoming a friend of Jesus, doing what he asked me to do, following through with opportunities to pray and to preach and to teach. And so he, the article goes on and says, the goal of the church is never... Not, oh. Someone asked me, but if the church has a gifted communicator, a gifted leader, wouldn't we want as many people as possible to hear that person? The answer is, not necessarily. 
Because the goal of the church is never for one person to be equipped and empowered to lead as many people as possible to Christ. The goal is always for all of God's people to be equipped and empowered to lead as many people as possible to Christ. I don't know who you know. You don't know who I know. So as we are followers and disciples and friends of Jesus, we'll have opportunities on a regular basis if we have our antennas up. We should be... We should be paying attention because God is calling people everywhere around us. Non-stop, day and night. God is calling people to himself, but he's not writing on the clouds. He's calling on people through you and I. Jesus said, you go make disciples. You baptize them. You teach them. Right? He handed it over the responsibility of evangelizing and discipling the world to us. So the goal of the church is never for one person to be equipped. It's for all of us to be equipped. He has invited every one of his followers to share the life of Christ with others in a sacrificial, intentional way. The Spirit of God has empowered every believer and equipped them to pray, to share, to point to Jesus. So, Here's where we get a little uncomfortable, but we're, I want you to remind you, we're in a safe place. You know what he told his disciples? I'm sending you out among wolves. They will throw you in prison. They will beat you. That's what, throughout Christianity, that's the history of Christianity. We've probably never had the privilege to have our wits scared out of us because somebody was threatening our lives, except a few of us. Where, where it was somebody didn't like Jesus, so they don't like us. So very, I mean, we only have a few minutes, so 10 minutes. We're ending. I'll try to bring us to a close. So here's what I'm going to ask of us. I just want us to practice something very simple. Okay? We're here. We're among friends. We're practicing, right? So I want you to just find somebody that you don't know well right now. Okay, everybody stand up, and those of you who need to stay seated, you can stay seated, but I just want you to go and partner up with somebody you don't know very well. Find a stranger, okay, and then I'll give you the next instruction. See, I know that we're uncomfortable, okay? Sir, I don't know you. Why don't you and I meet? In the blue shirt there. So you can sit down after you find somebody. We'll sit right here. So here, just, just find a place to sit down somewhere. And maybe if there's a little space, find, sit. It doesn't matter where you sit. Sit where you don't know somebody. Here's, here's the point, folks. I just want to give you a simple example of a practice to, to start a conversation that could possibly lead where you might be praying you'd want it to go. Say you have a, a neighbor or a friend you don't know, that you know that they don't know the Lord yet. 
Here's how simple, okay? So you, you met a person this morning. Maybe you don't know each other well. Just a simple introduction. And then ask them this question. What are you thankful for? And then the next step, you'd say, what are some challenges you're facing? And then the last simple question, how can I pray for you? I know. Yeah. Mia, can you write that quickly? Let's, let's, let's put, I don't even know if that marker works. Okay, so um, you can just write the word introduction. That's the first thing. Because you're going to ask somebody your name. Like maybe you're at a restaurant and somebody you see that's, okay, here's the thing. We have to assume that God is at work. Okay? So you've been in places sometimes where somebody just keeps looking at you. And you're like, okay, Lord, what's going on here? I'm uncomfortable. But then you step through that uncomfortableness and you say, oh, you want me to greet this person. This person is lonely. They're lost. They're hurting. They're like you've been many times in your life in different situations. You just want somebody to care. And God made, God set up this appointment. So then you say, you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Chris. And then the next thing you say, um, what are you thankful for today? And then so you would just ask that in this little conversation. And then you can just write the one word, challenges. What's a challenge you're facing? Because maybe you don't know what they're up against. And you give them an opportunity to say, wow, you know what? I, I prayed this morning when I left the house. This happened just recently at the restaurant in town. This woman who was far from God, had walked away from God, was asking, God, are you still there? Do you even give a rip about me? And somebody left a restaurant, walked back into the restaurant, and said, God wanted me to talk to you. God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. Now, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? It's not something, but we're saying we're getting in that place. And so then uh, introduction, what are you thankful for, challenges? How can I pray for you? And that conversation could be five minutes long. But what could happen if we give God the opportunity? He sent those guys out among wolves. So we are just practicing. That's all I'm saying. A simple practice, right? You don't know the person. You're saying, hey, who are you? So let's, let's take, I'll stop us in just a few minutes, okay? So let's carry on. Chris, Brian? Right. Hello, one second here. Let's move to uh, asking each other what you can pray for, and then we'll, we'll pray for each other quickly, focused on that one thing, and then you met a new friend. Let's, uh, let's begin to finish up. So just let me share a couple of closing thoughts here. Um, I remember the first time somebody was going to show me how to use a nail gun. And they could tell that I was a little timid and a little afraid. And they could have embarrassed me. And 
because we're prideful, guys are easily embarrassed. And this individual person didn't embarrass me. And they took more than one time to show me what to do. Um, a big, heavy 16-penny nail gun. It's a little intimidating at first because it's loud. And when you're four years old, it's kind of scary. Just, just kidding. So, but I'm just saying that, so be gracious with yourself as you're learning and as you remember how uncomfortable it is to be asked to do what you've been watching be done. And Jesus knows that. He is gracious and he will lead you. And so if you try too hard in the flesh, you're going to wound people. You're going to wound yourself. You're going to wound people. The Holy Spirit is gentle and loving and kind and gracious, and he knows this other person, and he knows you. Trust him. If he was the one who said, I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to lead you as sheep among wolves, he must know what he's doing. And he can be trusted. The Father sent his own son among wolves, did he not? That's how much he loves. He was willing to sacrifice his own son so he can take you and lead you across the street, across the grocery aisle, across the library, wherever you are to touch a needy person and to reach out and to just see the wonder of what God can do in people's lives and in your own life as we learn to do what Jesus asked us to do, to go and make disciples. And then we just try to fall asleep at night because it's just, you lay there with wide-eyed wonder. What's going to happen tomorrow? Where are you taking me? What are you going to do, Jesus? What do you want to do? And so we have that privilege. So um, let's just have our closing song and benediction then. You want What's that? Okay, no song. Well, let's stand together. Good, we're flexible today. We like that. Thank you for participating, by the way. It's scary, but not scary, right? So, simple plan, go try to practice it. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness in our life. And um, may the God who gives grace and courage and strength, may he cause his face to shine upon you. And may you know him better each day. And may you take all the junk that you've been trying to carry in your own hands and place it in the loving, capable hands of your Father. And Lord, help us to practice stepping out, just a simple walk across the room, to, to make a phone call, to send a card, to make a meal to just love somebody, to take an extra second to pay attention to what you're doing around us. We just give you all the glory in Jesus' precious and powerful name. And all the people said, Amen.